Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. A little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the light. Merry Christmas and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I am your other host, Amanda Bible Williams. And you guys, it is Christmas. Merry Christmas. Finally, the last three episodes, we have been looking toward Christmas Day, and now Christmas week is here, and it's finally time, and we are thrilled to be here with you guys. It's true. And Amanda, last week was our Stump John sort of an episode where we looked at all the little curiosities of Christmas and asked all the questions that we had. And he gave us some really good answers. And it turns out we ran out of time. So this week actually becomes sort of a part two of that conversation. So Amanda, give us five highlights of what we're going to talk about today. Let's see. We talked about shepherds, as one does on Christmas. Doulas. Doulas and childbirth. Yeah. Mountain goats, in fact. And Anna. And Anna. We love Anna. And Christmas records, which is more than five. Let's just get right to it. Let's go. All right. So, Amanda, it turns out that we have a special guest who keeps on coming back. John is the guest who never left. So are are we saying, is he overstaying his welcome? No, he's not. Or is he a permanent fixture here on the She Reads Street podcast? Maybe I'm just not special. I think you are special. Yeah, you're the special guest. I think you are, and time will tell. Time will tell. Time will tell. my answer to that. Which feels kind of ominous. Like, oh, I hope you do a good job. Yeah, a lot of pressure. We're very grateful for you. And honestly, you're necessary to this episode because it is part two of last week's episode. Last week, we kind of tried to stump John, so to speak. We kind of dug into all of the questions that always come up at the She Reads Truth office about the Christmas story. And so if you haven't listened to that yet, you may want to go listen to that first. But honestly, even if you haven't listened to that, we've got plenty of ground to cover here. So, John, I want to ask you... So last week, we talked about the wise men. We talked about Mary and Joseph's journey, talked a ton, talked about where Jesus was born and, you know, whether or not animals were present, all of those things. But today, can we start by talking about the shepherds? Sure. Okay. So I've heard a lot of things about the shepherds. And one thing that I have recently heard, a new kind of popular opinion, is that the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, because scripture says that the shepherds to whom the angels appeared were, of course, in the same region. And I've heard recently people say that these particular shepherds right outside of Bethlehem were tending what would have been uh, Passover lambs. Is that true? Well, maybe not necessarily Passover lambs, but if that is true, then they would have been taken care of. Sheep reserved for temple sacrifices. Okay. We have a, a little note in some later rabbinic sources that talks about some this later what sources rabbinic. So Jewish Jewish rabbis writing, you know, years later, they tell us that there are certain fields outside Bethlehem that would have been reserved specifically for temple sacrifices. Which again, Scripture doesn't tell us that's exactly where this was or these that's who these shepherds were. What exactly does Scripture tell us? Just tells us there were shepherds nearby. Okay, in the in the same region, same region. I have it right here in um, Luke two verse eight. This is the CSB. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Okay, yeah, that's it. That's, that's what, what we, we get. Right. Yeah. But what's kind of fascinating to me is if that little detail is true, yeah, then that, then like their actions are so much more powerful. So they left behind 
the old system. Mm-hmm. They left behind the sacrifices. They said, oh, the angels have appeared. They've told us mm-hmm. about the, the Messiah that has been promised. He is the answer we've been waiting for. He is the answer. He's the one who's going to take away our sin forever. They left behind the old and ran right. toward right. the promised king. That's and again, we're, we're reading all that into that. The scripture doesn't tell us the, the, that exactly, but it's just kind of neat to think about, right? Mm-hmm. I think the first place where I was introduced to that idea was in Christy Knuckles' song, Wrap This One Up. Amanda, do you know that I one? was just thinking of that song. And, I love that song. And so what she's saying, and from her research, because I know she's you know kind of dug into this, that if indeed they were Passover lambs, that the practice was that if a a male lamb was born and it was spotless, that they would wrap it up Mm. to keep it pure, to keep it clean, to keep it from harming itself so that it would be kept pure for sacrifice. And then, of course, as only Christy can do, she just weaves this song so beautifully and takes us to the manger. And and Mary then is, you know, when our Passover lamb was born, when Jesus is born, Mary wraps this one up because he is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And I mean, it's just so beautiful yeah. and so powerful. And to think of what it would have been like to be one of those shepherds to tend. I mean, whether they were Passover lambs or not, surely they would have been aware yeah. of Passover lambs and to go and to encounter the Son of God. A spotless, been, spotless male. It just, it's just profound. And it's... um I feel like that's one of those moments in Scripture and one of those connections that you can't really plumb the depth of that, mm-hmm. of of how meaningful that is. Yeah. And there are things that we want to be true because they would be cool. And like so this one. And so we always <laughs> want to be cautious as we speculate about this type of thing because Scripture doesn't say, and there were shepherds tending the Passover lambs nearby. Right. It doesn't tell us that. Right. And so, you know, sometimes when we read Scripture, always when we read Scripture, we read it in the context of the day. And so... When we do that, we can kind of piece some of these things together, but whether this is true or not, we know what is true. And so another thing, John, that I want to talk about, I'm just, I have so many things that I want to cover in this episode. So I want to jump to another one. Let's go back actually to Mary for a minute, because I there's so many things that I want to think about Mary right now. I want to know, we sort of teased this last week, did Mary bear shame for bearing the Son of God. You know, she was unmarried. And, you know, Scripture tells us a little bit about, you know, Joseph kind of making plans to... Divorce her quietly. Divorce her Is that quietly. the way it's worded? Yeah. And that would have, correct me if I'm wrong, that would have not been as like a, oh, I'm going to like try to moonwalk my way out of this. It would have been trying to protect Mary. Right. So to that question, yeah, Joseph, you know, we're told he's a righteous man. So he's not, he could have publicly divorced her, put mm-hmm. her to shame, and he chose not to. So in the first century in Judea and Galilee, Jewish couple, that says they're, they were betrothed. It's a stronger arrangement than what we would think of as just being engaged. In the eyes of the law, they were married. Okay. So they hadn't come together. They hadn't you know consummated the marriage. They weren't living together. But it had the weight that it, in order to end that relationship, he would have had to issue a certificate of divorce. Okay. okay. Right? They were bound to one right. another. And okay. so he was choosing to do it secretly in the hopes of saving her shame because Joseph is a righteous man. He was doing what he could to save her shame. And so this goes to your original question of, did Mary suffer shame? Yeah. Um, for, you know, apparently being pregnant out of true wedlock. Um, they weren't living together. So if she were found to be pregnant, it's scandalous. And that's often the way we hear this story told. Yeah. Um, 
but I don't think that's true. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Okay. The first is what we, we just talked about, right? That Joseph planned to divorce her in secret. So if you're doing it in secret, it means because it, it means nobody knows. It's before anything has become public. Okay. So at this point, apparently, from what we can tell, the only people who know that are, she's pregnant, that she's pregnant, are Mary. She's been told by Gabriel mm-hmm. and Joseph, who's been told in a dream mm-hmm. by an angel, by an unnamed angel, unnamed angel, an angel of the Lord, not the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord. And okay. the difference here is that Mary was wide awake and an angel appeared to her and to Joseph, an angel appeared in a dream. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first piece. We know it was done in secret. But then, like, if you start looking at the way the Gospels put the story together, there doesn't seem a lot of time for that, for this shaming. When Mary uh, finds out from Gabriel, what does she do? Luke tells us that she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. Okay, yeah. And she spends three months there. So she spends the first three months of her pregnancy not in uh, Galilee, not in Nazareth. Then she comes back, and here's a here's a piece we don't really know. If you go to Matthew's gospel, where Joseph is learning, uh, learns of, of Mary's pregnancy, we don't know exactly when that is, but it seems like it's after Mary gets back from Elizabeth's, not before she leaves. The reason I say that is because it says, I'm going to read verse. Uh, it's Matthew chapter one. This is right after Joseph's had his dream, and this is uh, chapter one, verse twenty-four. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So the way this is predicated is is he does this when he wakes up. So pretty much right away. Right, yeah. So it would seem odd if there was a three-month interval there. So that's why I say I think what happens is Mary goes to see Elizabeth, spends three months there in Judea with her cousin, comes back tells Joseph her news. Joseph plans to divorce her. The angel changes his mind, and then he takes her to live with him. So, um, hold, hold, hold. So, Mary knows for three months before Joseph knows. That's that's Maybe. my best That's my best guess based on what we wow. know. But, we're not, but the we're answer not is we don't know. We don't, we don't know. know. And Which is the answer to a lot of our questions right. we're sure finding. Yes. We are, we're doing our best to put the pieces of the puzzle together based on what Scripture does tell us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know what I love about this conversation, just to interject? I love that this conversation reminds us that these are real humans. Yeah. Because it is so easy for me to read the Christmas story as, you know, we talked about this last week, is just like the story that we've heard over and over and that maybe we memorized as kids. And that's good. That's not bad that we're familiar with it. That's a good thing. And we should be. And we should, you know, make our families, our children familiar with it. But I forget that yeah. this isn't a, a fable. This isn't just a story, that this is history. It's not clay ornaments on your mantle. Yes. And it is not, you know, I love a good nativity scene. I really, really do. And I have um, one that was gifted to me by my aunt, and it has an angel that belonged to my grandmother. Like, it's a whole thing, and I love it. And it's probably, now we know, not theologically accurate, mm-hmm. but... That's okay, too. I think some of you may not think that's not okay. But I just love that these conversations to talk about Mary and Joseph as real people reminds us that they were real and that Jesus' birth happened. Yeah. This is not just a story. Which I don't want to rush past the conversation about Mary and what this must have been like for her. But I also want to get to that that birth piece. I want to. I want to hear yeah. like that. Like, was it a Silent Night sort of a 
question. So, John, take us on that journey. Well, let me, can I finish asking? Yeah. I, I want to finish. I, at, oh, sure. <laughs> Go ahead. So we, we've got one of the pieces, right? We know we have a little bit of the timeline and we've got, you know, this is three months in. Now, Mary and Joseph are living together, though not living together. Right. But the other piece of this is that it says that when they went to Bethlehem, while she was there, the time came for her to give birth. Doesn't say that when they arrived Upon that arrival, night, yeah. she gave birth. Which it is, sounds like there was some time. Right. A we we don't time. know. But, we don't know. But the implication is that they're living together as husband and wife. People on the outside are looking in. They don't necessarily, you know, people back then weren't wouldn't have worn skin tight clothes. It wasn't something that it would have been uh, obvious just looking at her. And at some point, they head to Bethlehem. So every, you know, friends and family back in Nazareth, they're not there when she gives birth. They're not there to go, well, let me get this, let me put the pieces together. They started living as husband and wife on this date, and then right. today is this, let me do the math. There There's no social media for right. them to go, wait a minute. <laughs> right. And, and I'm noticing. And it's entirely possible that there wasn't as common of a gestational period at that time, like... It's possible that babies oh, wow, didn't always make it to nine months. Like maybe they were born early or I don't know. Guys, side note, just for, for your joy and edification, um, in Rachel's former life, she was a doula. True story. True really? story. We'll talk about that more later. But I love, of course, that, that's a comment that, that, that a doula that, would make. That a doula I, have would de- make. I have delivered a handful of beautiful babies. I love oh, that. True story. Well, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave that to you then, because I'm not. I don't know about gestational <laughs> periods, but but I will tell you. Like, the... do you know when the mountain goat gives birth? <laughs> Says in Job. I can't mm-hmm. remember where. Show notes. Go ahead. So Job thirty-eight. Oh, that's so right. there's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, John. You're so patient. All right. This okay. is this is a snapshot into our real life in the office at She Reads Truth. It's it's basically just John trying to get a word in edgewise, and we're just talking yeah. well, over him. It's that I know you have other questions, and I want to finish this so we can move on. You're very gracious. Um, no, but the, the so the my point is just simply that <laughs> we and we know they don't they don't go back to Nazareth until Jesus is at least two years old, right. older because they went to Egypt and then come back. So yeah. he's two and a half, three years old. We don't know exactly, but at this point, nobody's you know it's it's a long time ago. Nobody's putting any of the pieces. But the biggest reason I don't think Mary suffered any shame mm-hmm. is because when Jesus is an adult and he's ministering and he's drawing crowds, there are people who hate him. Right? Mm-hmm. Pharisees, the scribes, they, they're out to get him. And they level any accusation they can at him. You know, there's no prophet, according to the Old Testament, that's supposed to arise out of Nazareth. They're upset that he's eating and drinking with notorious sinners. They come up with anything they can to discredit him. But the one thing they never say is, but you were born out of wedlock. You were yeah. conceived in sin. They don't hmm. ever level that accusation. And you would think, especially when he's in Galilee around people who, whom he grew up with, that would be something they would say, but they don't ever say it. That's Which so is interesting. a really big thought because do we know, John, that the prophecy is that the Messiah would be born of a virgin? I mean, according to According Isaiah. to Isaiah, yeah. yes. And so it would have been almost um, sort of admitting who he is to say that you were born out of wedlock or to make any implication about his conception, Right. Yeah, there's maybe the, it's a little complicated because it, it, it's, it's more than a little right. complicated. And it's not clear that like the Jews living in Jesus' day prior to the Gospels being written down, yeah. would have necessarily connected Isaiah seven with the Messiah. Yeah, that's a great point. There, you know, there's a, it's a it's the fulfillment of that is is complicated, but there's good reason to believe that they would have stopped looking at that as a sign for the Messiah until it happened, and then Matthew and and Luke record right. this. I mean, I mean what a gift pieces. to have both testaments, yeah. right? 
and mm-hmm. to have had people who have gone before us in the Capital C Church who have studied and taught. And oh yeah, I mean we we lean heavily on for them. us as small people to stand on the shoulders yep. of giants. Yeah. But the the thing I think that is really cool about this, if you take a step back, and I know we're talking about little details and putting together scriptures and and what scripture does say and doesn't say, but the thing I want listeners to to walk away with is. Jesus came to bear our shame. Yeah. Right? So it's not that Mary had to bear shame for for him. It's the opposite. It's mm. that Jesus came to bear Mary's shame and that's ours. Good. Yeah. So I just think that's really powerful if you think about God overseeing all these events and being sovereign and and making a way that Mary was obedient and he protected her. He protected her reputation and protected who she was. I just Amen. think that's, that's really cool. I love that. I'm so glad we let you finish. <laughs> I like that ending so and much. I, and before we go on, and now it's me not wanting to move on. Okay, we have the record from Matthew and we have the record from Luke. And so we know these things to be true because they are in scripture, they are inspired by God. And I think that one of the good questions to ask is how did Luke know and how did Matthew know? So again, in the Stump John episode, I'd like to ask, how did they know? If especially this was not something that was particularly broadly known. And another question that I think the first response is, we don't know, but we have a guess. Right. I mean, if you're talking about how did they know what took place, that's a good one. Um, Because if you start putting together the cast of characters that are there that first Christmas, right, just put together, right? You got Mary and Joseph. Who evidently doesn't speak. Right, and we we talked about last time. We think he died while Jesus was young. Mm-hmm. So, so wait, to be clear, we're not saying he was mute. No, we're no, no, saying no. that like it, <laughs> scripture doesn't have give Joseph any recorded words. Joseph which, has literally no quotation marks right. in scripture. So interesting. Which, wow, which could mean that he was mute. We don't know. No, I'm kidding. Oh boy, oh, gosh. <laughs> here we go. Now here, I've got my heresy minute. card. Up. My, oh shoot, you beat me. She so, beat me to it. We have heresy cards, yeah. and Rachel threw hers first. Anyway, uh, no, go, keep going. Joseph spoke. He just didn't. We don't have any recorded words. Um, so you've got Mary and Joseph, right? You've got the wise men, you've got the shepherds, you've got Anna and Simeon, you've got Zechariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist, and you start going, okay, so Luke and Matthew, and they sit down to write their Gospels, who are they going to talk to? Yeah. Well, John the Baptist beheaded by Herod, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were really old when John was born, so right. they're most likely, likely gone. Not alive. Right? Yeah. Joseph, like we talked about, probably died while Jesus was young. Both Anna and Simeon are recorded as being very old uh, when they come mm-hmm. on the scene in Luke 2. So, and the, the shepherds, you know, we don't know their names. They scattered, they left. The wise men went back east. So who's left? Mary. 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 So we think Mary is to thank for why we have the Christmas story in our Bibles. And while scripture doesn't tell us that overtly, I mean, we do have those little nuggets where Mary is pondering Mary pondered these things in her heart, it says, right? So let's see. I have the CSB in front of me. Luke 2, 19 says, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Which is the verse that as a family, when we read this, probably every mother like pays attention to that right. little passage or that little verse and and takes note of it. Because we're historians. The we're mom- family historians. We tuck things away. It's true. And not... Not just facts, but like but moments, details, and feelings, and memories. Parents know those things. Yeah, and and I find it completely plausible that Mary, of all people, would have been able to recount yeah this story. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, way to go, John. Good answer. I mean, it wasn't me. It was Mary. <laughs> it was Mary. <laughs> but that's how we know about you know no room in the bonus room. 
What's the Greek word, John? Cataluma. In the cat, no room in the Cataluma. Like we know all of these details, possibly from Mary, mm-hmm. and so we do not have a lot of detail about the actual childbirth. This is again Rachel the doula wanting to go like, but the childbirth, how was, how did it go? Um, I mean, how did it? Go? How did it go? And we don't know. That's the thing. We want it to be a silent, placid, beautiful, worshipful birth moment. But for any of us who have given birth, particularly in the uh, first century AD, it probably was not. Not that. So, so yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, we have silent night, holy night. We have away in a manger, yeah. no crib for a bed. So what is it? Uh, no crying, no crying he, makes. he makes. Yeah. But but he was a baby. But he was a baby. I hope he cried. <laughs> I hope so. That means his lungs are working and yeah. filling with air. And Okay, John, talk to us. Help John save our Christmas hymns. All right. So this is one I think where we've already kind of answered this as we've answered other questions. We've That's kind of fair. we've kind of drawn these these different pieces and kind of explored other areas. And when you put them all together, you get a different view of than maybe what some of us have heard about the birth of Jesus. So there's honest I want to frame this with kind of two different scenarios, okay? And you've probably heard uh, or seen both of them. One is what I would call the Christmas card, Mary and Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. This is the Mary is shining. Maybe she even has a halo. I like it when she wears blue. Right. She's wearing blue. Is it like the Madonna and child? Right. And and, and she's holding Jesus who doesn't cry at all. And it's serene and perfect. And every mother looks at that and goes, no way, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so we, we want to, like, that one's probably not true. So we can just set that one aside for now. Then there's the other one, which is, you know, a little more recent. And we hear, and it's, it, seems, it seems much more realistic and likely because it's gritty and, and, and kind of resonates with our own experiences, right? And that's, you know, uh, I talked last week about uh, Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb of God yeah. uh, record. And it, he's got a song on there called Labor of Love. And I love that song. And it starts out, it says, it was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground, Mm. right? You could hear a woman cry. And like this, this idea of this was a painful thing Mm -hmm. um, that she, that Mary and Joseph came in and she gave birth while they were, while they were entering town before they had time to even put their bags away, right? They were, it was a, it was a emergency situation, right? We don't know that either, right? Mm -mm, Scripture just tells us while they were in Bethlehem, the time came. But we know they were uh, most likely in a home, because mm-hmm. what we talked about last week, the whole Cataluma thing. Mm-hmm. So if they're in a lower room in a in a home in in Bethlehem, it's probably relatively comfortable for what we would consider a first century birth experience. There's no mention of midwives, There's and no we mi- know that midwives yeah. happened. I mean, we read in Exodus one or two about the Hebrew midwives who helped deliver the babies, but we don't seem to have a midwife on the scene here. Do we? We d- I mean, no, I know doesn't the tell us. Yeah, yeah, doesn't tell us. So we don't know. But you know, nothing tells us this is. You know, I just what I'm trying to get at is we don't want to paint this picture as this is the most serene, unearthly birth ever recorded. Mm-hmm. Nor is it the worst possible scenario. I think right, it's important right. to sort of just what does Scripture tell us? And it tells us very little. But what it does say was Mary gave birth. She yeah. placed him in a manger. They seem to have been in a home. Used swaddling um, clothes. Right. So. Cloth. So rather than filling in those details, sort of say, well, it seems like God provided for them, right? Everything he said would come to pass came to pass. Yeah. Jesus is healthy and safe. Mary is healthy and safe. Great. And then the things that we know about the world that we live in. Labor is not easy. Right. And, and it is 
uh, without getting into too much detail. Boy, I'm, thank you. I'm showing so much restraint right now. I just need you to know. Good. Um, but we we know from the physical universe that we live in that birth is messy yeah. and painful, and so it's very human. And I don't know, like it's, it's one humanity. of those like, well, it doesn't matter, like how exactly painful or messy or human it was. But I think that the one of the reasons that I like to ask these questions is like Amanda said earlier, it reminds us yeah. that this was physical. This was yeah. a physical act in the same way that the crucifixion was a physical act, that the fulfillment of God's, all of those Old Testament prophecies came to pass in real space and time and, and actual flesh and blood and bone. And, yeah. and so that's why I like to think about it. Yeah, it's also one of the biggest moments in our whole history, not just right. redemptive history, but in the history of the world. So also, I like to just meditate on that. I like yeah. to think about that. And I, I know that I'm not alone in that. Yeah. And it's not to say that the more serene Mary and child um, is is wrong. Or dishonest. Like it, no, because it's um, it's a worshipful expression of art, right? Yeah. Like this is Mary and Jesus and and we know that art is so much more than than fact. Yeah. You know, and so but I do love the reminder that it's both that this is the son of God and his mom. Yeah. You know, and this is a human mother and child. Yeah. Like it it's it's all of this. He was fully divine, mm -hmm. fully human. Yeah. And the incarnation. Like you know, how do you even, what, I'm like flailing my hands in the air because what words do you use to describe that? And, you know, as this podcast releases, it's two days before Christmas. Merry Christmas. So, I mean, even if you're listening to this sometime this week, like this is the time to be yeah. really thinking about the reality of what physically happened so that the spiritual restoration could take place. Hey friends, it's Hannah from She Reads Truth. With 2020 just around the corner, we want to equip you to be a woman in the Word of God every day. Our favorite way to do that is through our She Reads Truth subscription box. For just $20 a month, you get each new study book delivered right to your door, plus tons of other fun perks, including a free subscription to our app, exclusive gifts, early access to sales, and more. Plus, if you sign up this month, we're also giving you a 2020 calendar featuring some of our favorite artwork from over the year. Start 2020 with us by signing up today. Head over to SheReadsTruth.com for all the details. Okay, I want to go to the next question because I am the time police, and that's one of the hats that I wear, along with, again, my stocking cap. I'm sad to say I do not have mine on, nor does John. It's but fine. I, I have my Christmas socks. Listen. And that's important. We can testify. Because Welcome to the part of the show where we talk about what's John wearing? <laughs> Christmas good. socks. Great. Okay. So I do want to talk about one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story, the unsung hero. I love to talk about Simeon and Anna. And to me, that is, that's the end of the Christmas story. Like, don't stop at Luke chapter no. two, yeah. verse, you know, 21. Keep going because this is, this is the moment. But John, will you just tee us up a little bit on that? Like, who are these people? Who's Simeon? Who's Anna? And what's the significance of this moment? So Simeon and Anna appear in Luke 2, like you said, and they are in the temple or they come to the temple at the same time that uh, Mary and Joseph are there to present Jesus and to offer a sacrifice for Mary's purification. They are, Anna is outright called a prophetess, right? And as we will see, uh, Simeon little bit of prophetic himself, but they're here to testify to what God has done. And that's when we, when they come on the scene, that's kind of the role 
Luke uses them for to kind of to make very clear what we've just read you know, about Jesus being born. And I think I still categorize this as part of the Christmas story. That's fair, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I okay. think so. I wish that weren't a question that we had to ask because it feels like such a beautiful kind of culmination of the Christmas story. And even what Simeon says, you know, which because I just read that verse earlier, I happen to have it in front of me. But it's in Luke 2. If you normally stop your Christmas narrative reading um, earlier in Luke 2, just keep going because it is so beautiful. But when they, uh, when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to present him in the temple, I w- just listen to what Simeon says. This is verse 28. Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. I don't even know what your question is about Simeon and Anna, but like it I just, just want to talk about love them. it. I yes. love, I love them. I'm going to keep going. I'm in ESV, but that's okay. I'm in verse 33, I was in right CSB. where you left off. In verse 33, it says, "And his father and mother marvelled at what was said about him," which I just like such a sweet parent moment. And then it says, "And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. John, talk to us about what Simeon is saying here, because I think, and I am going to let you answer the question I just asked. So we've got this moment where Simeon is going, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. I can, I can, I can die now because I have seen I mean, the Lord's salvation, which A, like that man is very in tune to the Old Testament scriptures yeah. and he has been waiting. And then what I think is happening here, so he's seen the fulfillment of prophecy, but then John, is he also prophesying? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Um, we read earlier, it says in verse 26, it says, and it had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. So this guy's connected to God. I mean, yeah. he, he is a worshiper. He is in a relationship with the Lord. Um, he is hearing from God. So when he, and when he prophesies, you know, when he says these things, you know, I take it as a prophecy. Because yeah. he's, he, like you said, he, he's connected to his Old Testament. He is not just making stuff up. He is repeating what he has heard in God's mm-hmm. word. And he is also, he's sharing this to, with Mary, what God has placed on his heart. He says, you know, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And that's a picture of the crucifixion, right? Yeah. I mean, and... and I mean, is he saying that, so clarify for me, is he saying that a sword will pierce through Jesus' soul or through Mary's? Through Mary's. That's what I thought. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's yes, the, your, your the, son is the Messiah, the one we've been all waiting for. He's He is here to save us from our sins. He is, in his own words, he's a light for revelation of the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel, right? This is the answer to every Old Testament prophecy that we have been waiting for. But also the way he's going to do that is going to pierce your soul. It's going to be heartbreaking. Yeah. So it's, it is a... I mean, this is the beauty of Luke's gospel in particular, but but the gospels in general, is the gospel writers, they never take their eyes off of the cross or off of the empty tomb. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where these stories are going. So even here in this narrative that we're, we're going to include in the Christmas story, you know, it's really, really pointing, uh, you know, neon flashing arrow to the cross. Yeah. Right. Because Jesus was born for a purpose. I mean, and, and John the Baptist would later say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's why he came. Yeah. And this was the way 
that he had to come to do that. And then right after that, let us not forget Anna in verse 36 of chapter 2, still in Luke, it says, and there was a prophetess, Anna, do you say prophetess? Sure. Prophetess. Prophetess. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel and the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. I like Anna. Mm -hmm. And then verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Do you believe this is true? (laughs) I do. I do too. Thanks be to God. Okay, John, talk to us about Anna. This feels a little bit less familiar than the rest of the Christmas story. Tell us about Anna. So we don't know much about Anna, just what you read. Um, Which is a lot. I mean, she was a widow in the temple for a very long time, and she never left, and she served the Lord. That's a lot to know. It's a lot. And one of the little, you know, nuggety things in the text, which is kind of really cool, is that it says, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Asher. Um, And why I think that's cool is for, for two reasons. One... Here is this woman from the tribe of Asher, a tribe that's supposed to be lost to history, and she's still there, and she's still faithful, and she's still waiting for the Messiah. The other thing I, I wanted to kind of point out, because this is something that comes up all the time when um, you know people write about the Bible, they'll talk about the 400 years of silence. Yeah, yeah, like between the Old and New Testaments, right. essentially. They'll say, like, you know, from the close of Malachi to the opening of Matthew, there's 400 years, and God doesn't speak. Well, she's a prophetess. It may not have been written down, but God in some sense is still speaking. I think he spoke through history, but he's speaking through certain people. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and I just, like, I think that's neat just to point out those two little things, because it just kind of echoes what we've been saying all along, which is God is writing this story, right? And he has not forgotten his people. And this right here, this one little little old lady who, you know, there's a the weird thing in the text. It could be that she's 84 years old, or it could be that she's 84 plus seven. She's plus, 91. Yeah. Either way, she's really old, especially yeah, for, old. for living in the first century. And okay. little old lady or like super fierce right. presence of a woman, mm-hmm. which is kind of how it sounds to me because... It can be two things. I think yeah, yeah. I, I agree. A fierce and, little old lady. And like, I want... I want that. Like you said when you were reading the scripture, I like Anna. Mm-hmm. Like I I want to be like Jesus, but I I want to be like Anna when I grow up. You mm-hmm. know, like I I want to be that faithful and to be serving that long and waiting mm-hmm. for the return of my savior. For us it would be waiting for the return, right? Mm-hmm. For her it was waiting for the first arrival. Advent number 2. Yeah. yeah. So I love that. Like what what more do we know about Anna? And you know, not much except this one Detail that just speaks volumes. Yeah. So, John, pardon me for not knowing the answer to this question. When we talk about the 400 silent years, it feels like sort of a common thing that we refer to between the Old Testament and the New, between Malachi and Matthew. Is there anywhere in Scripture that actually affirms or refers to that as silent? Or is that something that we've made up? It's something that we've made up because there is this noticeable gap when we read the Bible. We get to the end of the story of the Old Testament, it ends in Malachi. Silent in that there is no canonized right. There's recording. No, there are no written scriptures. Yeah. People have inferred that, oh, God must not have been speaking. But I don't know that we can or should say that. Okay. I just think we can say, you know, again, let's leave what scripture does. There's nothing uh, written down for us during that time. I want to ask questions that we probably don't know the answer to. Like, I want to know why... 
we don't have any scripture from those 400 years. Like what was the big, you know, mm-hmm. darkest before the dawn sort of reason for that? But I, I can't imagine that we, we don't know. We don't have to know. Don't you think that it's like the question that drives every Bible scholar nuts? Like just what, what goes here? Okay. This episode, guys, we have talked about the silent or not silent night. We've talked about the shepherds. We've talked about Simeon and Anna and a lot of other things. But most of these things have been questions from us to John. So before we go, a couple of things. But first, John, what's something that like you are finding that we're not teeing you up for? Like, What are some things that you are finding that you want to share? Like, What's been interesting to you as you have prepared your heart for Christmas? Yeah, one of the things that like I always come back to um, is the manger, right? It's such a weird thing. You know, it's like we think of the manger, we think of, we may have images in our mind of like this little wooden, you know, cradle-y kind of thing. So it kind of looks like a cradle. and But that's probably not what it would have been in uh, first century Judea. You just keep wrecking all of our images. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what I'm going to well, do with my nativity scene. I mean, those are, those are, those images come from like Renaissance art and European, yeah. European flavor, you know, all that stuff. But in the European the, flavor, well, European like flavoring, right? Get, you like their Bible. With a little we European we eventually always get to food. Yeah. Here we go. I'll um, get you there. <laughs> it's good. But in, in the first century, it would have been like a stone box. Right. And so when I hear what? that Jesus was placed in a little stone box, right. I think about, God in a box. And I go, wait a minute, where have I heard that before? And I, I go right to the Old Testament, right? The Ark of the Covenant. Okay. Right? The presence of God with the Ark of the Covenant. And I think of that scene where David is bringing in the Ark into Jerusalem and it's being mm-hmm. carried huh. and it slips from the cart they have it on. Yep. And this poor soul named Uzzah reaches out to grab it and he's struck dead. For touching it. Right, for touching it. Merry Christmas. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of background to that. They weren't supposed to carry it on a card, and no one was supposed to touch the ark. And um, and we look at that and go, oh, it's harsh, right? And even David is troubled by it, right? But then I look Because he was trying to help. Right. I mean, we look at his motives and we say, like, I mean, it was giving its best. What, what happened here? And what we're supposed to take away from that, I think, is that no matter how good our best is, mm. it's it's not good enough to approach God. That's why Jesus had to come. Okay. Right. And then I contrast that. I think about that scene. And then I think about like what we, what we just talked about with the shepherds a little while ago. And let me read the way uh, the ESV puts it. It says, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And I think about them running into the room, right? Went with haste. And I think about how they approached the box with yeah. God in it and how different that is from that scene. Hmm, right. A, they were beckoned to it. Right. It's like, come. It's an invitation yeah. as opposed to an untouchable. Right. That was the word that came to mind for me, too, because Jesus wasn't untouchable. I mean, no. no, I'm a nerd, so I always think of that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I thought that's where you were going. I can't, think of, going I can't think of the Ark of the Covenant without you know, Indiana Jones <laughs> in mind, but, you know, that's not where we're going. But so there's this there's this huge contrast. Like we're invited now to into God's presence. We are invited into the presence of the king. God is once again in a box but he's there for us to draw near. And then, you know, something else kind of hit me as I was thinking about this idea of this stone box. There's another stone box. Yeah. That's where my mind went. That's where I've been, yeah. Wait, where did your mind go? To the the grave. Okay. But the the stone box that we're talking about, in case people don't know, is in the first century when you you were buried, 
And this is really cool because this is a unique piece of history that really is only true for like 200, 300 years in this period where the tradition would be you would have been laid in an above ground tomb. Mm -hmm. And then a year later, your family relatives would come and collect your bones and place them in an ossuary, which is just a bone box. Mm -hmm. And then you'd be placed on a shelf alongside other family members. And that's where you, your, your final resting place would be. But Jesus doesn't have a box. And yeah. the reason is because he wasn't there for a year. He was there for just shy of three days. Yeah. And then the tomb was empty. And that's really what this is about, right? So when I read that about the manger and I think about what it would look like, I can't help but think, man, this reminds me of the Ark of the Covenant. It reminds me of the ossuary that never was. And I'm just so grateful that one, Christ came so we could draw near, and two, that there was no ossuary. Wow. He's, he's yeah. risen again. He's alive today. And it's what you just said. That's what all of this is about. All yeah. of this digging that we're doing, all of the stories that we're telling and the questions that we're asking, we just want to know more about the greatest story ever told. And we don't know. We don't know if Jesus was la- if the manger that Jesus was laid into was a stone box, if it was a wooden feeding. Like, we don't know exactly what it looked like. But what we do know is that in the Old Testament, there was a separation between God and his people, and that there was nothing that man could do to be able to be as close to God as they were in the garden. Yeah, And we know that the difference came when God became human. When we talked about, I think last week or the week before, God became like us so that we could become like him. And so when God became a human, we were allowed. He was no longer untouchable. And that limitation that we have of being near to God is taken away because Jesus lived a perfect life. And so when God looks at us, he sees purity. When God looks at us, there's no longer that separation because of the sun. And so whether or not it was a stone box or wood or whatever, we can look at the Ark of the Covenant, remember how untouchable God was, how separate we needed to be from him. And we can look at the manger and in whatever representation we have in our nativity scenes, and we can see that the manger is an invitation and then to we can, know God through Jesus. And then we can look at the tomb and know that it's empty. Amen. This is the Christmas story. Do you believe this is true? I do. I do. This has been a blast, you guys. This is, as you know, if you're listening in real time, gang, we are, tomorrow's Christmas Eve. This is, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas, Merry Rachel. Christ- Merry Christmas to our listeners, Merry our community who we love, and to you guys here at the table. Yes, sure. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but okay, so let's talk about, we've, in the last couple of weeks, talked about favorite Christmas movies, favorite Christmas carols. This week, I want to talk about our favorite Christmas albums. And it can be a guilty favorite, if you like. It can be a childhood favorite. In my case, <laughs> in my case, I feel like all of the Christmas songs that I love, I assume everyone loves and knows. And I am evidently mistaken because I grew up listening to, A of all, the, the Carpenter's Christmas. As one should. Did yep. you? Not really. Um, Johnny Mathis. I mean. It's more our speed. And then also, um, I definitely grew up loving Amy Grant. Because who didn't? And then I moved to Tennessee. And of course, it is a tender Tennessee Christmas. Every year. And I feel like so So many of the girls who work at She Reads Truth are not Tennessee natives. And it is shocking to me how many of them do not sing along when I (laughs) tee them up for an Amy Grant tender Tennessee Christmas. They just look at me. I am always here for you. I appreciate that. And your tender Tennessee Christmas. But those are like, those are the songs that and albums that I grew up listening to. And I cannot imagine a Christmas without them. 
Yeah. What about you? So two come to mind. One is Bing Crosby. Yeah. It has to be vinyl and like on the record player. The Williams family is um, serious about We're serious music. about our records. It's true. Yes. So Bing Crosby on vinyl. I already mentioned Johnny Mathis. Specifically, I don't know if he has more than one. I assume that he does. It's the one where he's skiing on the cover. Mm. It's fantastic. But the one that really came to mind first that is probably unique to our family, possibly, is that um, my husband David and I really love, it was his love first, and then I inherited it, married into it, the Russ Taff Christmas record. You're now, speaking you guys, my mom's language now. If you don't wow. know Russ Taff, I know. <laughs> so Russ Is Taff, it Taff or Taft? It's it's Taff. Okay. With that, with no T, right? T-A-F-F? I think so. I think it's like Taffy without the Y. So I think it taff. is too. Awesome. So uh, contemporary Christian... Yeah. Musician Mullen. I mean, from yeah. not so contemporary now. Not so contemporary now. <laughs> <laughs> from back at the origin of the term, possibly. Anyway, the Christmas record is really good. And his version of the Christmas song, I promise you, it rivals any Don't any other say version. Nat King Cole. I just said I, I won't say Nat King Cole, but it's very good. To clarify, it's because I love Nat King Cole, not because I do you too. Can't, yeah, okay. Just I to do too. Sure. But anyway, just just trust me. Find it. Can't find it on vinyl. I haven't. If you is find it, it on send me the link. The She Reads Truth Spotify Christmas playlist. If it is not, let's add it. We will have corrected it by the airing of this episode. There you go. There you go. We'll make sure of it. Okay, John. What? You know what? We have to add Amy Grant's Tender Tennessee Christmas. Which well, one? That, the original or the new one? You got to pick the one. original. There Wait, there's don't a new one. Yeah, yeah, she, she re-released. It. Yep. No, I can't. No. I don't no. do re-releases. I appreciate yeah. the effort, but no, thank you. I want the original. Yep. Okay, John. Uh, so you already stole my thunder because that's what I grew up with. We had one Christmas record in our house, and it was Amy Grant's original oh, yeah. Christmas album. But what was your favorite song on that album? Oh, um, and is that why you moved to Tennessee? You know, so I, it wasn't why I moved to Tennessee, but I, I won't lie and say that it wasn't in the back of my mind in the that we would get to get to releasing that song. Was it in the prose column? Yeah, it was definitely in the prose Excellent. column. And every year, uh, you know, I, I, you know, we we bust that out, and and I promised Lauren it's going to snow on Christmas and it hasn't yet. So we're still waiting for it. John, um, don't make promises that only God I can know, keep. I know. Well, I'm, I'm really hoping that God just has my back and he like hears me say it and he's like, all right. Feels like you're kind of implying that if it doesn't snow on Hold Christmas. On. <laughs> Hold on. Heresy question. Right, that, that's a heresy card. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's, that's probably like the one I grew up with and like the most classic in my mind. And I already mentioned Behold the Lamb of God. I think Andrew Peterson just is amazing. I'm going to keep mentioning him so he becomes a friend of the podcast and maybe comes on. There it is. Um, but the one I go back to, you know, that I just really enjoy over and over again as an adult is James Taylor's Christmas record. Yes. I just Ooh. think it's it's got all the classics, and I just love the way he does those songs that I'm super familiar with, because even his, his voice in my mind is just so classic mm-hmm. that hearing him sing, even though he's not the, you know, he wasn't the original artist, just hearing him do those songs, like, takes me back. Yeah. 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 It feels like James Taylor's voice, you, like, you need... A Christmas tree and a fire. Is this just and totally dating us? Uh, I think it is. Because nobody okay. has mentioned Justin Bieber's Christmas album, and we won't. Heresy card, heresy. <laughs> <laughs> but I have another one that I think of. I grew up like one of the soundtracks to our home at Christmas time was Handel's Messiah. Oh yeah. Every year, my mom and stepdad would. We lived in Southeast Michigan, and they would drive down to Toledo to the palace at Auburn Hills, and they would have like CCM artists would come and and nice. perform, and they would be in the chorus, and it was like a part of our childhood. But even now, Amanda and John, you know, I 
really campaigned for this year's Advent plan to be based on the songs of Handel's Messiah. I had this big idea that we could do that. It turns out the Handel's Messiah is about the Messiah, not the birth. It's of, the gospel story. It's the whole it's gospel incredible. story. So it, you would have to do a whole reading plan not tied to Advent, not tied to Lent, because he takes us all the way through the birth, Which is so the remarkable. story of the Messiah. So it fell, it fell apart, and we weren't able to do an Advent plan about the Messiah. But every year, our church here in Nashville does a beautiful version. It's abbreviated, but does a beautiful version of Handel's Messiah. And someday, I would like to go to Dublin for Christmas and listen to the performance of Handel's Messiah in the cathedral where it was originally released. Oh, wow. That Now, see, that's a bucket list item. That's a classic Rachel goal. <laughs> my daughter has bucket list items that are like, I want to walk on a treadmill. And I'm like, you're going to have to aim higher. But <laughs> Shoot that, for the stars, kid. that is a good one. So speaking of soundtracks of childhood, I will leave you with this nugget that when we would decorate our Christmas tree growing up, we would listen to the Bee Gees on 8-track. Not a Christmas album. Just the Bee Gees on the track. So wait. Merry Christmas. For Christmas, you would listen to a non-Christmas. Uh-huh. When we decorated the Christmas tree. I don't know why. Listen. But once you do it every year, then you have to do it because it just feels wrong if you don't. So I don't have an 8-track player anymore, sadly. It has been such a delight <laughs> to talk about Advent for four weeks. Yeah. Um, not just with the two of you, but... With our she's and our he's, whom we love dearly. I'm going to miss this. I know. This was super fun. And just, I want to speak directly to them right now, to our listeners, wherever you are this Christmas season, wherever you find yourself, if you're with family, without, if you are in a difficult season or a joyful season, this story of all stories that we've been talking about and digging into, this is for you. This story is about God and His goodness and His faithfulness and about the Savior, Jesus, who was born for us. But those two words, for us, Mm -hmm. that is part of the story. And we are invited into this story. So wherever Christmas finds you this week, know that you are not alone. You have a community of women and men who are opening their Bibles and reading along with you. And you are not alone because the Son of God, the Son of God came to earth to dwell among us, to be God with us, to be God with you. And so take that encouragement and open your Bibles, read the story, and ask God to meet you there. We're going to skip our normal beauty, goodness, and truth segment, which I'm sure you've all grown to love, because it is Christmas. I would love, Rachel, to have you read. There is a Christmas Day invocation in our Advent book that is just beautiful. Would you read it for us? I would love to. It's from St. Augustine of Hippo, and it is just the perfect way that I want to walk us out of this episode and walk you into Christmas, friends. It says this, Rejoice, you just. It is the birthday of the justifier. Rejoice, you who are weak and sick. It is the birthday of the Savior, the healer. Rejoice, captives. It is the birthday of the Redeemer. Rejoice, slaves. It is the birthday of the one who makes you lords. Rejoice, free people. It is the birthday of the one who makes you free. Rejoice all Christians. It is the birthday of Christ. Amen. Okay, gang, we'll see you next time. Merry Christmas to all of you. We will be back in the new year to talk about the book of Genesis. We are going back to the beginning, which I know we joke about going back to the garden, but this is the moment to go back and read the first chapter of the book of books. And so we hope that you will join us in the new year. And until then, friends, Merry Christmas and keep opening your Bibles.